I really appreciate your prayers. All of you have been praying for me so I may receive the spirit of tongues so you may understand perfectly English. <laughs> so thank you. Keep praying. One day we're going to see the miracle. I promise that. So for over 2,000 years, people have wondered about end times events and when Jesus will return. Jesus will, will Jesus physically return and reign on earth for 1,000 years? Will Christians go through a seven years tribulation? Will the second coming of Christ occur at the same time that believers will meet with Christ in earth? Will Christians be raptured? And other people left behind. What does the nation of Israel have to do with the end of time? There are many questions in regard to the end of time. And um, this text that we have today will respond to some of those questions. Matthew 24, the text that we have today is a very difficult text to interpret. And many faithful Bible scholar teachers differ, differ on the details. Some are convinced that Jesus is addressing the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem that happened in the 70 AD. Others are equally certain that he's speaking about the end of time. So today, text, I'm not pretending to be conflictive, but I'm pretending to be faithful to what he teaches today. In order to understand this text a little, I want to uh, introduce the different position just to, just to give you an idea about why there is a many difference view on the eschatological view, that's what we call it in theology. Uh, unfortunately, there are people who have overemphasized this issue so they don't have communion with us who think differently. And let me clarify this before we drive into the text. The end time issue shouldn't be a church dividing issue. We must come humbly and with open hands, knowing that each eschatological position has biblical basis. So let me present in, in the, this eschatological position, knowing that there is some things that are clear in this text and in, in, in the different eschatological view that we must embrace. But when something is not too clear, then we may give room to humility so we may be open to see what the Bible teaches and what other scholars says about. So let me just introduce the idea that create most of the conflict. This is the millennium. A millennium is 1,000-year kingdom of Jesus on earth described according for some in Revelation 20, chapter 4 to 6. Because of that, then we have three different interpretations of the millennium. We have the premillennial. I don't want you to get confused, so get, pay attention. So it's, it's tricky. We have premillennials, and premillennials, they have two different views. We have the historical premillennials, probably the oldest view on uh, the interpretation of the millennium. By the way, the millennium and this period of time only appears in Revelation 20. So premillennial, historical, they interpret the millennium uh, different in the sense that they believe that Christians will remain on earth during the Great Tribulation. The tribulation will purify the churches by overrunning false believers, and the second coming of Christ will precede the millennium. So historic premillennialism believes that the church has replaced the nation of Israel as a God's covenant people. That's an important 
um, uh, interpretation, I mean, important uh, thing to consider because the other premillennialism are called dispensationalism, dispensationals. And they believe that, uh, this position believe that the rapture and the second coming of Jesus are two separate events. The rapture comes before the great tribulation, and the second coming occurs after it. In addition, God still has a special dispensation for Israel. And this view was developed as a system from the teaching of John Nelson Darby, considered for some the father of dispensationalism in 1800. Then it was adopted and modified and popularized in the United States by the Scottfield Reference Bible. Probably some of you have, have one of those views. So that's regarding the premillennialism. You have two views. Then you have amillennialism. Amillennialism, the millennium, is a symbol of the current reign of Christ among his people. The millennial view with the historic premillennialism is one of the oldest in the history of the church and has been in place since first century. In the fifth century, for instance, St. Augustine settled on the millennial view as his understanding of eschatology. eschatology. And furthermore, millennialism was the main viewpoint of Muslim reformer in 16th century. And also you have the post-millennials. So you have premillennial, amillennial, and post-millennial. They believe that Jesus will return after the millennium, millennium, and the millennial is a time when most of the world submits to Jesus and peace and justice will reign. The millennial reign described in Revelation according to post-millennial represent a long period of time. It's not a literal millennial in which through the preaching of the gospel, most of the world will submit to Jesus. Okay? They place great trust in the preaching of the gospel. So we will spend a couple weeks Matthew 24, Matthew 25, going through this uh, text that may give us some idea so you may understand, okay, pastor mentioned premillennial and then dispensationalism, and then, I mean, so you may have an idea what we are talking about. So there are different views and shouldn't divide us. When would you be concerned? That's a good question. When, when somebody's teaching a heresy, okay? When then is a heresy regarding the end of time. When somebody say that Jesus came already, when somebody say that Jesus came in a spiritual form, or when somebody say that Jesus will not come physically. So let's dive in right in Matthew 24, and let me put the context in text. Remember that Jesus is talking to the Jewish people about the end of time. He has been in the temple for one day, a long day, very exhausted, answering questions, confronting the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians. And now they are leaving the temple. Remember, his couple hours, probably 24, 48 hours, to be crucified. And they are leaving the temple and Christ, of course, if you read, if you have been with us during the whole series, you would know that Christ is alluding to how God has worked with Israel in the past. Matthew 23, 33, 36, he says that um, he confronted the, 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 the Pharisees and Sadducees, and then uh, he says that, um, verse 35, so that upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous, able to blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. 
So it's clear that he's speaking to them. When we read the text that we read already, it's clear that Jesus, and, and also let me tell you this, in every eschatological text, when I mention the word eschatological, don't get lost, it's the end of time. In every text that prophesied regarding the future, always it have twofold. One is to encourage the people. Encourage the people. Don't be discouraged. And the second is to help them to be prepared. And this is not an exception. Jesus' prophecy sought two things. First, to bring hope to his followers, his followers. And second, to help them to be prepared for the end of times. So whatever disagreements the scholars may have about the chronology of events, they must agree that confusion over eschatology shouldn't obscure the clear commands that we have of discernment, preparedness, and endurance. So in the light of the teaching of Jesus as a Christian, we are called to be prepared for the end's time. So we are not persuaded into deception, but enduring and being faithful proclaimers of the kingdom of Christ until he returns. So what would you do? What would you be doing while Christ returns? Would you be prepared? And that's the title of this sermon. Prepare for the return of the king. Prepare for the return of the king. And let me give you four elements that I see here that Jesus infer or that we can infer of Jesus' teaching that how we may be prepared. First, identify the imposters. Identify the imposter. Be ready. Be prepared to identify the imposter. Verse 1 to 5. Jesus left the temple and was going away. And, when, and his disciples came to the point out him the building of the temple. But he answered them. You see all, the, all this? Do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives... The disciple came to him privately. So it was an open um, uh, question that now became privately. I mean, they, he came privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. They will lead many astray. As I told you, it has been a long day. Jesus has been teaching. And now they are wandering the temple that was built by Ezra and Zerubbabel. Do you remember Nehemiah and Ezra? And then Nehemiah built the wall. Well, after that, that temple wasn't as good, as beautiful as the temple that Solomon, Solomon built. But the uh, Romans, Herods, he decided to make an update. He decided to improve the temple. And some historian says that Herod's temple was one of the most impressive building projects ever undertaken in all his history. And the building was beautiful. It was an amazing building. And for Israelis, traditionally, they view this temple as invincible. Why? Because the very presence of God was there. So they know, Jewish people know that only God can destroy the temple. He did it in the past. Do you remember? Through the Babylonians. And he will do it again in this context in 70 AD. They knew that. But Jesus is prophesying 
in saying, you see all this? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another. Jesus' prediction was staggering, and the disciple naturally assumed that such event meant the world was ending or something equally catastrophic was happening. And Matthew said that the disciple then took him privately and said, hey, Jesus, we want to be ready. We want to be prepared. So can you tell us? And they made three questions. Three questions they made. The first one is, when these things will happen, when, when verse 3 tells us, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and then of the age? Do you see the three questions? The first one was regarding to the temple. When will the destruction of the temple take place? Jesus already hinted at his destruction in verse 38 of chapter 23. If you were with us last week, he says, Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. So Jesus hinted at his destruction and will soon details its downfall. So after prophesying the destruction of the temple, then two more questions comes. What will be the sign of your coming? And what will be the sign of the end of the age? We all want to know the answer to those questions. And everything that Jesus, everything that Jesus says from, point, from this point in chapter 24 and 25 will practically be responding to these questions. But Jesus gives them a clear warning. See that no one leads you straight. See that no one leads you straight. Be ready to identify the imposter. Jesus is speaking to the disciples. Be ready. But some will come claiming to be the Christ. And it happened already. The classic Jewish eschatology has long held that there will be eventually a Messiah redeeming that will come. Those who rejected Jesus are still waiting for the Messiah. But in their, in their history, you see that in the middle first century, there was a guy called Dositeus, the Samaritan, that he wanted to pursue the Samaritans, that he himself was the Messiah prophesied by Moses in Deuteronomy 18.15. Later on, then you have another um, um, Jewish called Bar Kochba, that he get much better acceptance among them and the leaders as well. And they, they group, they gather a troop to fight against the Romans. And you know what happened in 135 AD? The Romans crushed them. Half million of Jews were killed and hundreds of thousands more were exiled. In the, middle, in the middle of the 5th century, a man named Moses, he claimed that he was the one predicting in Talmud. Another guy, David Alroy, he changed his name to be aligned with the lineage of David. And he tried to uh, fight against the Muslim empire in 12th century. Revolt failed. The most famous was Shabbatai Zevi, early mother charismatic guy, that he lived in the early Ottoman Empire. Do you remember Ottoman Empire? It was the time when the Islamic was moving towards, and, and he just got in prison, and you know what happened? He chose, they asked him in prison, in prison, prison by the Islamics, and they gave him two options. You have two options, Zavi, Zevi. You die or you follow us, and you be converted to Islam. You know what he did? He converted to Islam. And many of his followers as well. 
We know Christ everywhere all the time. Actually, in the Latin, the Hispanic community, we had our, our um, false Christ was a huge bundle. He was like, in the beginning, he would call himself the Messiah. His name is Jose Luis de Jesus Miranda from Puerto Rico, founder and leader of Growing in Grace. In the beginning, he was the Messiah. He was like a combo. When you go to the, one of the drive through and you say, give me this, 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 give me the combo. So, in the beginning, he, he claimed to be the Messiah. Later on, he claimed to be the Antichrist, and he tattooed the 666 in his hands and his followers well. But then he died because of cancer, and his followers called him the Melchizedek, which means the king of justice and king of peace. So, the idea of identifying the Messiah is still prevalent in Jewish community up in this day. Unfortunately, we know they rejected Jesus Christ. They rejected the Messiah. But we, as followers of Jesus Christ, we must be prepared to identify the imposters. How can we do it? Knowing the truth. Knowing the truth. Handling the Bible correctly. So be prepared for the return of the king, identifying the imposter. Second, discern the beginning of the birth pains. Discern the beginning of the birth pain. Verse 6 to 8. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. Can you highlight that? This must take place. Recently, we read in the news that China was ready to attack Taiwan. Do you read it? This must take place. But the end is not what? Yet. For the nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in very, very, various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. And Jesus stated that the disciple will hear about that. And Jesus borrows here the biblical language of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Daniel. Isaiah 19, 2 says, And I will stir up Egyptians against the Egyptians, and they will fight each against another, and each against his neighbor, and city against city, and kingdom against kingdom. So Jesus declares that wars will happen. But they don't need to be alarmed, but discern the birth pains. The earthquakes alone, rumors of wars, all these things simply indicate the beginning of the events. In church, we have a problem here. You know, you know the movie Houston, we have a problem. Church, we have a problem. What is the problem? Well, the problem is this, that every time we see the natural disasters, or every time we see wars, we say what? It's the end. It's the end. And Jesus say, it's not the end. <laughs> it's not the end. It's only the beginning. But you know what? That's good. Because it's confirming what Jesus said. We only need to be patient. So don't be alarmed, but discern. Don't be alarmed, but discern. And please, church, don't try to interpret the end times with an open newspaper. <laughs> interpret, the new, interpret the news with the scripture. Would you have the scripture open more than the newspaper open? So be prepared to the return of a king, identifying the posters, discern the beginning of the birth pain, anticipate the persecution. 
You want to be prepared for the returning of your king? Anticipate the persecution. Verse 9 to 10. They will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by, hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Jesus continues warning his disciples, this time indicating that they will not escape persecution. They were going to suffer persecution, death, and hatred from the people just like Jesus. And Jesus now tells the disciples that they will be persecuted, killed, and hated by the nation because of their loyalty of Jesus during this period. This reality was previously mentioned in Matthew 23. Jesus warns them in Matthew 23. And again, he did it in Matthew 10. Do you remember Matthew 10, 17? Be aware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogue, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to be a witness before them and the Gentile. Jesus had been preparing them, and now again, Jesus warns them. And be what? Anticipating. Anticipate the persecution. Jesus reminds us that and remind them that persecution is part of, a, of what Christ's disciple will face in the end of time. Stephen was the first. Jacob, his brother, the second one. And so all their disciples, all without exception, die under persecution. All of them. And we're hated by the society of the time. And the persecution has not ceased to exist and will continue until Christ's return. The church suffered persecution during the first 400 years before Constantine submitted the Edict of Milan. Edict of Milan. I don't know how to say it in English. But just Google. <laughs> but the first 400 years and the persecution of Nero, 67 A.D., he ordered that some Christians were put on church, hardened with wax, nailed to axes, and burned in their garden to provide them with light. And you know what happened with that persecution? It increased Christianity's devotion and determination rather than diminish the spirit of Christianity. In 81, dominance government, Christians were killed and persecuted, blaming them for anything bad that happened. Earthquake, it was Christian. Illness, Christians. Famines, Christians, in order to kill them. Trajan's government in 108 AD, Christians were beaten, beheaded, and eaten by wild beasts. About 10,000 Christians were executed. 162, Marcus Aurelius, government, government. And during Severus' government, 192 as well, Christians was, were burned. Hotar would be poured over their heads. They would be beheaded and thrown in boiling water and killed by wild beasts. Maximum ruling, 235. Numerous Christians were executed. Decisius ruling over 249. Valerian, 257. All forms of torture were used against Christian. Aurelian 274, cruelly tortured. And the, the, 
Diocletian, Diocletian ruling, during Diocletian ruling, known as the Great Persecutor in 303, Mother historian estimate that between 3,000 and 3,500 Christians were executed under his authority. And that was the age that probably you have heard known as the age of martyrs. We think of persecution, church, and we think that it's like a Hollywood movie that we're going to see, we're going to watch from outside. No, church. Sometimes we don't think that Jesus' warnings would happen to us. And praise the Lord that we have the freedom to worship so, because we have the freedom to worship, don't miss one Sunday service. The time will come that we will forbid them to do it. We don't want that. But today, let me tell you, brothers and sisters, just in 2021, more than 340 million Christians living in places where they experience high level of persecution and discrimination. 4,761 Christians in 2000. In 2021, were killed due to their faith. 13 daily. Today, 13 Christians are dying for their faith. 4,488 churches are under attack. 4,277 believers were detained without trial, arrested, convicted, or imprisoned. Brother, we must be prepared. Are you? There is a story. A group of terrorists entered to a church during the Sunday service with guns shooting up wars. Started asking, where are the Christians that claim they would give their life for Christ? There were three pastors, two of them ran away. Leaders ran away. Deacons ran away. The worship leader, he was the first one. He ran away. Sorry, court. It's not personal. At the end, the pastor was left with 10 church members only. The terrorist lowered their weapons and said, Pastor, start the service all over. All the hypocrites are gone now. Church, are you ready to give your life for the cause of Jesus Christ? Are you ready to face the imminent persecution that the church is going to suffer? If not... Some churches are suffering already, but if not, pray to the Lord to prepare your hearts so that when the persecution knocks our doors, we may be ready. Prepare for the return of the king, identifying the posters, discern, discerning the beginning of birth, of birth pain, anticipating the persecution, endure to the end. Enduring to the end. You want to be ready? Be ready to endure to the end. Verse 12, 11 and 13. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because of what? Lawlessness will be increased. It looks familiar today. The love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. In this portion, Jesus is teaching their disciples that we must endure despite of two things. Despite of two things. First, despite of false prophets. And we must be ready to endure it, identifying, denouncing, and confronting false teachers with the truth. False prophets will arise within the redeemed community and will deceive many. 
Second Peter warns us. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people. You see that? He's using the past tense, referring to the Old Testament, but also the time that when he received this word from Jesus and the time that he did church, he, he made church and he was a pastor for, the, the, this is the last letter he wrote before he died. And he says, false prophets also arose among you, among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them and bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Jesus did it in Matthew 7. He repeated now in Matthew 24. Paul wrote 13 letters. All of them warns the church to be aware of false teachers. Peter wrote two letters. Two letters that he, he, he warns the church about false teachers. John wrote three letters. All of them warns about false teachers. Jude, not the, Jude the, the, not the, his career, but the other. He wrote one letter and he warns about the false teachers. I asked the last week to the uh, Hispanic congregation the following question. Are you ready to identify them first? Are you ready? Are you able to know who's teaching falsely? How do you know that what I'm teaching is truthful? Are you able or can you clap anyone who in the name of Jesus say things, use some verses, manipulate it? Are you able to identify? Church, we must be prepared to discern between what is true and what is false. And there is only one way to do it, is knowing the truth. You remember what Paul wrote to Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Let's read it quickly. This is not just for Timothy. This is for you, for me as well. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed and accurately handling the word of truth. Accurately. So endurance despite the false teaching and endure, 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 endure be in, despite of what? Despite of increasing of evil, we must be prepared to endure dealing with increase of evil and not letting evil shape our identity and our called to overcome evil with good. Jesus says, evil doing will increase. And it's likely, if you, if, you, if you keep the context of Matthew, it is likely that it's linked to the direct rejection of God's law that he mentioned in chapter 23, particularly things such as justice, mercy, faithfulness, love. The increase in this type of Lawlessness naturally leads to decrease in love, mercy, justice, which is the core of the law. But as a disciple of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, we are called to let not evil overcome us. Do you remember Romans chapter 12, 21? Paul wrote these words. Do not be what? Overcome by what? Evil. But overcome evil with Good. Endurance is one of the most notable traits of a true Christian. Faithful disciples respond 
should be to remain faithful to the end. And many people will turn away. Don't get surprised. Probably the person next to you. No, I'm just kidding. But you shouldn't be surprised. The Apostle John said this in 1 John 2. Children, referring to the church. It is the last hour. Yeah, we know. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all, they all are not of us. People among us. Endurance, perseverance is one of the evidence of a true Christian. We are called to remain faithful, brothers and sisters, in the midst of the persecution. We are called to endure in the midst of the stumbling blocks. We are called to endure in, in, in despite of false prophets. We are called to endure despite of lawlessness. He promised salvation. Can you read it at the end of that verse? But the one who endures to the end will be safe. He promised salvation. Note that he doesn't promise safety. In the midst of our tribulation. That's why he encouraged us to be prepared and to persevere and to endure. Finally, identify the impostors. Discern the beginning of birth pain. Anticipate the persecution. Endure to the end. And finally, preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Read verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and the end will come. It's incredible that in the midst of the persecution, the gospel will spread throughout the world. We see that in Acts. It happened just in Acts chapter 2. But the word here, the phrase here, the whole world, was normally in that context used to describe the known world of Mediterranean. The world encompasses mainly by the Roman Empire at that time. Similarly, with the all nations, it's generally used to describe the all-known Gentiles group of the time. But this broad proclamation of the gospel is a precedent to the end. And I know, let me tell you, you remember what I taught in the beginning, premillennialism, dispensationalism? Well, the, there is one of those views, dispensationalism view, that believe that it applies for just the, this portion, this line, is something that the Jewish people would do in the future. Another view believe that it's the responsibility of the church because of the preaching of the gospel to make the Jesus to come earlier. I disagree in both humbly, respectfully, and I will tell you why. Because of the context of Matthew. I lean more toward the millennialism view that says that he is just teaching this, preparing this, and connecting this with Matthew 28, the last words that Jesus gave. What was? All authority has given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do what? To observe, to obey everything that I have taught. What? Jesus taught this. So they were called to continue encouraging people to preach the gospel, to make disciples, to make disciples, disciples, and make disciples. Therefore, I know 
there's different interpretation, and that's why in the introduction I want to introduce the idea that it doesn't mean that I am wrong, this is, and he's right, he's right, I'm wrong. I just want to be faithful, and, and the context of Matthew leads me towards this direction. And this prediction of the spread of the gospel refers to the evangelistic efforts of the church throughout the inter-advent period. So, preach the gospel, church. The church is not done. And we'll never stop carrying the message of salvation to the nations. Each generation are responsible for continuing what Jesus commanded us. The question, brothers and sisters, is this. Are you preaching the gospel? Or do you think that it's just a task for pastors, leaders? No, brother. If you are a disciple... If you are a Christian, therefore you are a disciple. If you are a disciple, therefore you are a disciple maker. There is no such thing that I am Christian, but I'm not a disciple. Or I am a disciple of Jesus Christ, but I'm not a Christian. There is no such thing. If you are a Christian, you are a disciple. If you are a disciple, then you are a disciple maker. Are you preaching the gospel, church? Are we as a church? May God help us. Let me finish with something that is in the text that called me attention. And I want to take the time to highlight it. I want to meditate, everyone to meditate on this. And today's text talks about the many. Do you notice? The many. The many. Many, what? Will be deceived, according to verse 5. Many will fall away, betray one another, and hate one another, according to verse 10. Many will be deceived by the false prophet, according to verse 11. The love of many will grow cold, according to verse 12. Church family, try not to be in the group of those many. Because those many are not followers of Jesus Christ. True followers of Christ endure to the end. Christian Don quaked. We endure to the end. Not because we are strong. We are not. We are weak. And we know that. Because we know that we are weak, we come to God every day because he's strong. And he promised to sustain us to the end of times. Church, may God help us to be prepared to the return of our king. He died. He resurrected. He promised he will come and he will come back. If you are visiting today, probably you are one of those many. We don't want you to be one of those many. We want you to be one follower of Jesus Christ. And there is a clear path to take. Just come to Jesus, repenting from your sin, confessing your sins, and knowing that he's the Lord and Savior, the only way to guarantee your eternity with him. Let's pray.